to this week's episode of What Do I Think, a podcast where we stop and explore some questions we have that are maybe going through your head too. We believe the Bible is absolute truth, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that someday he is returning. But if you're anything like us, as you read the Bible and follow after Christ, there are many questions that arise. Well, ultimately, we will never be able to figure out all the answers, and that's okay. This podcast digs into some of those questions, and we hope it will lead to some helpful discovery and knowing God more as you ask yourself, what do I think? I am so excited about today for various reasons, but for one, this is episode 10. We made it to double digits. Thank you for joining me on this journey so far. Today, I sit down with Pastor Cameron Jenkins to explore how we begin to move forward past the political rhetoric on both sides, past social media rants in all sorts of directions, and even beyond some of our own past beliefs, experiences, and mindsets to view the events we are currently walking through with the lens of God's Word. Today is not a political or race discussion, it's a gospel discussion. I hope you listen to every minute of every episode, but I want to especially challenge you to listen to this episode in entirety. You don't have to agree with us, but especially as a follower of Christ, you do have to begin to take a deep look at your own heart, even if that means allowing the Holy Spirit to challenge, correct, and lead you in new ways. In the last couple weeks, I have asked myself questions I have never even thought to ask and looked at things in some ways I've never even thought to take time to look at. As you listen to today's episode, I hope you will begin to ask yourself, what do I think? Cameron, it is good to be with you today. Thanks for your time. Uh, Maybe just to start us off, just share a little bit about who you are, where you are, and then we'll jump into the conversation. Absolutely. Well, first, let me say thank you so much for having me. It is a joy to be able to spend this time with you, my brother and my friend. Um, God has been so good. He's been so faithful. Um, When you say tell a little bit about myself, uh, firstly and primarily, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful uh, that he looked beyond my faults and saw my needs, that he rescued me and redeemed me, saved me, set me free. Uh, Back at the church I grew up in, we would say uh, he set my feet on solid rock, and I'm so glad for that. Uh, not only that, uh, I am a husband. Uh, I married uh, Lou, uh, who is now Lou Jenkins. Uh, she is absolutely uh, the best uh, half of my life, best part of my life uh, outside of Jesus Christ. And uh, of course, we have one little baby girl together, uh, just born February of 2020. Uh, so she right. is uh, about a little bit over four months old. And uh, it has been a joy to be a father <laughs> and uh, to be a part of that process. So God has been good. He really Amen. has been. Amen. And then just share just a little bit of, uh, I know your, your, your teacher, pastor, just briefly kind of mentioned that. And Yeah, absolutely. So uh, bivocational, uh, I moved down to Gulfport, Mississippi because of a band director uh, job in the, in the Gulfport School District, teach at Bayview Middle School, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. And at the same time, God began to uh, put on my wife's heart regarding church planting. And, you know, it was one of those things where I was like, okay, God, listen. What about person A? What about person B? What about person C? Mm-hmm. You're not choosing us. You know, choose these other people who are better qualified, better equipped uh, to handle something like that. Because this was on the backside of seven and a half years of being a youth pastor. And mm-hmm. so I was, uh, I was exhausted. I was tired. I was burnt out. And I just wanted a season of rest. And so the more we prayed about, you know, some of the things we were seeing, and of course, there are a lot of healthy churches here on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. It was like, God, why would you, you know, send us or need us? And um, he continued through prayer uh, to bring the direction back uh, and centered and said, hey, look, I want to use you guys uh, to plant a, a particular church uh, where, you know, uh, everybody feels welcome. You can walk in and, you know, feel loved. And not only that, but you can grow from ground zero um, and uh, begin to develop your relationship with, with God. And so we did that out of obedience through prayer. And uh, God has really been with us every step of the way. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for sharing that, brother. Well, you mentioned burnout and tired. For a four-month-old man, you look you look great, man. You don't don't look like you got a four-month-old. So, um, you, you well, hide. The secret the... to that that's teamwork, man. That is teamwork. <laughs> that's right. That's right, man. Well, praise God, and you know we got got our six-month-old daughter, and it is a joy. Um, but uh, 
it's it's one of the greatest joys and greatest challenges I think that God allows us to experience. Uh, sure. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yes. So, well, hey, in our in our time today, uh, as you and I were were talking, um, you know, just with all that's happening in our country, uh, all that has happened with religious division, uh, the, the the conversation about um, religious the systemic racism uh, right. with uh, disunity and how that's really we're seeing probably some things that we didn't think, uh, maybe didn't even want to admit were there, particularly even in the church. And so as a lot of people are saying, as I believe, that it's got to start with conversations. It's got to start with people sitting down, discussing things, saying, how can we learn? How can we move forward? And we have to do that in an open, honest, and sincere way. And, and then that starts really in our hearts. Uh, right. And so I hope our conversation today, uh, we're, we're each going to kind of share our hearts a little bit. But then we can stop and say, okay, so what do I think about that? What is God challenging me with? How can I be part of forward progress? Uh, and, and what does God want to do in my heart uh, to be able to use me in my world, uh, in my church, in my community uh, to, to make a difference? So that's kind of the, the preface for today. So why don't you go ahead and start us off what your thoughts are, some, some things that you guys put on your heart, I know, of what maybe not, certainly not the solutions or the answers, but at, right. at least a great starting place where we can begin to, to do just this. I love what you said right now. You said a starting place uh, because that is where we are. That's where we are uh, as a community. That's where we are as a country. And not everybody's at the place yet of conversation. Uh, there are still some brothers and sisters who are still grieving and, and rightfully so. Uh, I think that is honestly step one. Uh, when you look at the video of George Floyd in particular and his death and his murder, uh, when you see that, you have to grieve. Uh, you grieve not as a black man or a white man. You grieve because he was a part of humanity. You grieve because that is your brother. Uh, and once you grieve, you know, even in the Old Testament, we see they took 30 days uh, to grieve the death of Moses. And so mm -hmm. after you had that time of grief, whatever that span is, uh, I call it sitting in your sackcloth and ashes, right? Mm -hmm. So once you have that moment, then you wanna emerge from uh, your ashes and spring forth better. You wanna use your ashes, uh, dare I say, as fertilizer. Mm -hmm. uh, to, to allow something new to sprout. It's kind of like in the country, we would burn off property, you know, where you burn something. And then, of course, what emerges, uh, you want it to be better. You want that new growth to begin to emerge. And that's mm -hmm. what I said this morning. You know, that's where we go from being depressed and in despair and angry and upset and crying and weeping um, and in despair. We go from that to actually moving forward and dreaming again thinking again, becoming innovative, of course, in conversations like this, uh, engaging in dialogue. How do we make things different? How do we make things better? And dare I say, how do we change things? And that kind of leads us to our conversation. You know, how do you bring about change? You mentioned that a lot of this is systematic. It is. Uh, but how do you change systems? You got to understand systems are built by people. And so now it leads to a third question. Then how do we change people? Uh, people have changed uh, a number of different ways, but the most effective way to change a person is from the inside out, not the outside in. Amen. And uh, of course, we're seeing that uh, unfold right before our eyes. We're seeing organizations and groups trying to change things from the outside in, uh, but there's no amount of laws or legislation or anything that you can do outside is really gonna make a difference in changing a person's heart. That is the work of God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And uh, we know that uh, through reading his word. Uh, so now uh, it led me to a place uh, where I began to think, okay, Holy Spirit, what do you want, what do you want to go from here? What's next? You know, what's gonna happen? And um, it was so powerful, man. He gave me a verse out of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, man, man of all places, Nehemiah. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter three. So they're rebuilding the wall, right? Getting the wall rebuilt. And um, we hear this verse, uh, chapter three, verse number 28, uh, Nehemiah says that the priests were responsible uh, for rebuilding the horse gate and uh, the, the part of the wall opposite of their own house. So when you think about that, there's a, a part of this, when I watch this video of George Floyd, there's a part of this that I need to repair some of the gate and some of the fence that's right in front of my house. What is the work for me to do? Before I try to go fix it for the city, before I try to go fix it for humanity, what is it that I need to do? And he gave uh, four H's uh, in response to that, uh, downloaded into my heart. And man, I've been sharing it. And uh, it definitely, I want you to steal it and share it. We're going to unpack it here uh, this afternoon. But number one, you know, it starts with the heart. There's a mm -hmm. conversation of how do I change my heart? 
and you have to get this piece right. If not, no other piece of the puzzle is going to fit. Mm -hmm. So how do I change my heart? The second part of this, the second H is how do I change my home? Because changing your heart is not enough. You have to then begin to influence the people and have a conversation with the people that live right there in the house with you. Or dare I say, if you're single, that they they share the same last name as you. I'm talking about your family. How do I begin to influence and shape uh, what my family look like? And then uh, thirdly, you got to start thinking about, well, how in the world do I change my huddle? And your huddle would be your friends, your your circle, your in-group. How do I change the people who are in the group with me uh, in my little sphere of influence? How do I begin to shape and, and rethink uh, about my huddle. And then finally, we started thinking about how do we change humanity? So humanity is actually the fourth part of this marathon. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to start initially with the heart and then the home and then the huddle. And we can't be in a hurry. We can't just bypass and zoom past the work of the heart, the work of the home, the work of the huddle. And then we just going to go into humanity and start to change things and, and shift mm -hmm. things around. Uh, so that's where we start, man. That's where we start is a conversation about the heart. And I say to you, you know, the same thing I said to a lot of my brothers, uh, when you watched the video of George Floyd, you know, what went through your mind? Yeah. You know, I, I, we, we were on that call this morning and several of the pastors said, I didn't watch it right away. And I'd say I, that the same thing for me. Um, you know, we, there's seen just so many videos, so many things like that. Um, and I wasn't super eager to watch it just because it was, I mean, some people even told like one of my buddies watched it and he said, you might not want to watch this right now. Uh, and, and so it was really, I think probably about a week later. Um, and really the reason I went and watched it was just as the conversations were unfolding, as, as I was talking with pastors really all across the globe um, and conversations obviously kept coming to this. Like I, I need to, to see, you know, what happened and, um, yeah. especially as it became politicized and really became sadly rationalized and uh, explained away or uh, man, <laughs> conspiracy theorized uh, about some of the things I was like, I, I want to watch this. So I, you know, I did. Um, yeah. And it, I mean, even, even just talking about it right now almost, you know, makes me emotional. And uh, I don't know how you can watch it and, and not just look at that and say, why didn't somebody do something? Uh, and right. even that question, I think that's from my perspective. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not black, and I haven't right. lived in that community. And so I think even that question, that's as I'm sort of like, there's, there's reasons why nobody did it. It's not because people didn't care, but there's just, there was just this such. I, I believe there was evil present in that moment that there was, there was fear. Uh, right. People were just paralyzed. Um, you know, certainly, why didn't the other cops do something? Was it because of fear? Was it because of hatred in there, you know, all, so all those things really went through my head, through my mind. And ultimately, I don't know how you can watch that and even begin to try to explain it other than murder and, right. you know, really the, the, the worst side of humanity. Right. To, to and, and, you know, this, this brings us uh, to a conversation that we can't walk away from. I think as a, as a country, as a people, even the people that's listening now, uh, maybe even listen later, you know, you got to think about, you know, well, what is my interpretation of what I just saw? And right. furthermore, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, how do I interpret this in a way that is shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Uh, you just can't bring your own interpretation out of it. Uh, for me, you know, I, I shared uh, openly uh, this morning that I, I watched it four times. And uh, my wife and I watched, and I just didn't watch the clip. I wanted to watch the full 10-minute video because mm -hmm. I kept hearing everybody talk about the 10-minute video. I even watched it once uh, silently, like no volume, just wanted to see what was taking place. And uh, I tell you, man, when I watched it, and, and I think it was like the third time, and to hear him calling for his mom, like mm -hmm. that really hit me uh, in a place. Uh, but as I said this morning, and as I say again, even now, uh, we as believers, we have to look at that particular video and see ourselves uh, in all three of the categories that's represented. Number one, primarily, you need to see yourself in the place of, of George Floyd. You need to see mm -hmm. yourself in a place that we live in such a broken world that the world can turn on you at any moment. Uh, mm -hmm. That, you know, what is designed and, and set up to protect you and to serve you can literally 
uh, flip on a dime. And you just got to understand that that is a part of brokenness. That is the result of sin uh, that we see out of Genesis. Uh, of course, understanding the Bible narrative helps you to be able to process that. Number two, you got to be able to see yourself in the category of the bystander. How many of us been in that situation? We didn't say anything because of fear, like you were saying. We didn't say anything because of retaliation. You know, and, and honestly, there's kind of two bystanders in this case. The people that were videoing, that were saying stuff. I mean, they could have jumped in there and knocked the police off of him. Uh, mm -hmm. But then, of course, they would have been arrested. So, you know. Or, or, or were, you know, th thinking about, you know, because I, I have heard a lot of people saying, how could you just stand there and video it? Um, right. And I, I only watched the video. Uh, I think I did watch it twice. So I'm, right. maybe I'm remembering correctly, but I believe it was mostly black people around watching this. If they're seeing one of their brothers being murdered, they're probably thinking, if I come close, is he going to pull out his gun and shoot me? You know, exactly. and, and, and so certainly, you know, even that would be like, well, I, I'd risk it. We don't know how we would have responded, but right. certainly as, as a white person living in that neighborhood in Minneapolis, we cannot begin to understand uh, the perspective of that person, uh, of those bystanders, like you're saying. And so I, I think that's an excellent point uh, right. of just really, really seeing it from those perspectives. And what was the and, third perspective? And, and we've, we've all been there. We've all been, we've been in all three of these categories. We've been in the place where, you know, the world has turned its back on us. We've mm -hmm. been there. Everybody, if you haven't, just keep living. But we've been the bystander. You know, we listen in to a joke that's inappropriate, that's making fun of another mm -hmm. group of people or a, somebody else's circumstance. And we use that leverage and we call it laughter. Well, that's not laughter mm -hmm. uh, because it is demeaning somebody else. We've been the bystander. We've been the person holding the video camera. We've also been David. Uh, we've been that, that police officer uh, with our knee in somebody else's neck. We know that murder, of course, starts with an attitude. It starts with a thought. It starts with mm -hmm. what is in the heart. Uh, I was just reading just before we started out of Mark chapter 7. I uh, just wanted to refresh my, my, my memory about it. You know, in Mark 7, Jesus is talking about it's not what goes out of a man, um, you know, that defiles him, uh, what comes into a man that defiles him, but what goes out, what comes out of mm -hmm. his heart, what pursues mm -hmm. out of his heart is what defiles him. Uh, because we know, of course, we're talking about the heart issue. Uh, the heart is very deceptive. The heart will deceive you. It'll make you think that you're doing the right thing and you're not. Your heart will make you think everything is fine and it's not. You know, your mind and your thoughts and your emotion and the seed of where your soul is, it is very deceptive. No one knows it, honestly, but God. And mm. it takes God uh, to be able to do what I call a CAT scan of the soul. Uh, mm. David even used this language. He said, uh, search me, O Lord. Know me. Know my ways. Purge me right? Uh, this mm. purging and this searching and this knowing of the heart and of the soul, David was very familiar with. Uh, we remember even when uh, the prophet uh, got ready to anoint the next king of Israel, uh, David's father calls in all the boys except David. And what do we learn out of that lesson? God says very specifically through Samuel, he says, listen, God looks on the heart. Man judges mm. the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Uh, so we look at that video, we have to see with our own eyes uh, that we are in all three of those shoes. And then furthermore, uh, when you start talking about the heart, uh, that is where sin lies. Sin mm. is there in the heart. Uh, I just want to look at a passage real quick. It's out, yeah, of, uh, out of Genesis, man, Genesis chapter eight. And um, while it's on me, while we're in this discussion, you know, mm. talking about the heart, uh, you know, how do we change the heart? How do we begin to shift the heart? Some things you got to know about the heart, not only that it's deceptive, uh, but Genesis uh, chapter eight, and right there, man, verse 21, uh, right there in verse 21, it says, Then the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said to himself, I would never again curse the ground because of man, even though man's intention is evil from his youth. His heart, mm -hmm. his intention, his motive is evil from his, his youth. Um, he said, I'll never strike down the earth again uh, and every living thing, he said, I, I, that I have done, that I have created. Uh, so mm -hmm. he says this to Noah after the flood, after he has saved Noah and his family, these eight souls, uh, along with the other animals that were brought on board of uh, the ark, he says, uh, God says, I'm no longer going to destroy it this way, but I do know that the heart, the intentions of the heart is evil from your youth. Our precious little girls, I mean, as, as amazing and as cute as they are and how they cool and all this kind of stuff, and, uh, you know, make our eyes just glaze over uh, just looking at them, you know, uh, but yet and still, we were born in sin. We were literally born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Uh, mm. So that's in all of our hearts. And mm. um, even when, when God redeems us, uh, you know, he, he purchased 
uh, us through his blood, through salvation, you know, uh, we're being purchased and, and bought with a price. We still have to understand that sin is lying at the door. It's crouching at the door of our heart. So you think mm -hmm. crouching, kind of like a lion or, you know, uh, some type of predator, you know, like a, uh, an animal, a beast uh, laying in the hunt, laying in the wait uh, to pounce on his enemy. Uh, that is sin. And if we're not careful, we have to address it right at the door. So when I talk about searching the heart, that is what I mean. And that takes some some work uh, to be honest with ourselves. Number one, to admit we're not perfect, uh, to admit that we need God, to admit that we need Jesus literally to come in and to transform our lives. Without that, uh, we can't change anything else. We forget about humanity changing. That's right. Amen, man. Well, brother, you know, you talking just about the heart and you know those four h's that you said that where the starting point is the heart and so that starts with us um right. you know we say well I, I haven't done this or that but you know talking you know in in matthew 5 where jesus says that he says you've heard it said you shall not murder you have murdered yeah. the bible with the judgment but i say that whoever is angry some verse angry in his heart with his brother will be liable to judgment uh yeah. and and so it's not it's not it, it i would say it has and what, what i hear you saying it's less to do with the outward things and more to do with our, with the inward. Um, and so, you know, I love what you're saying about starting with the heart. And it's also, I love Nehemiah. I know there's not a, Nehemiah doesn't get a lot of attention, um, but <laughs> yeah. at, at, at Relv Ministry, we do, you know, we have a, a discipleship coaching that we do, and it's based on uh, the Nehemiah response coaching model that we've developed. Yeah. Um, and it's based on Nehemiah, how he moved from his, uh, present situation to his preferred future and the four yeah. steps in there uh, were, were uh, incubation implementation which led to celebration was or which leads to transformation and then there's celebration yeah, uh, man. and so for nehemiah uh, if we look at nehemiah 1 1 and nehemiah 2 1 uh, the two months you know it, it's 100 days that nehemiah uh, prayed and fasted for 100 days and so that was 100 days we said that was his incubation phase and so yeah. that is where we are is that incubation of God, search me, search my heart, search us. Um, because if we just try, if the preferred future is that humanity would change and we try to jump to there, uh, yeah. then, then we are, we're going to end up at this exact same place uh, because we haven't addressed the root. Just like, you know, right. if, I go out, if I go out to my lawn uh, and I see an ugly weed uh, and I just like, man, I'm going to go get my mower and buzz it off. Uh, yeah. A week later, I go out and there's going to be the weed because I didn't get to the root of the issue. That's good. Um, and so thinking about that idea of that it, it starts with the heart, that the hearts right. are the root of this, what, what do you see uh, being, even within that first step, being some of the beginning things that we should be talking about, thinking about, personally doing to not even correct things, but right. search, allow God to search our hearts and expose the, the trueness of, of our hearts? So now you're talking about surgery of the heart. Now you're mm -hmm. talking about once I've had a CAT scan, MRI, X-ray of my heart, and it takes the word of God to be able to do that, now I have to do something about it. You know, scripture says in the New Testament that if a man looks in a mirror and immediately forgets what he saw, you know, mm -hmm. that doesn't know good. You know, he has to do something in accordance to what he saw. There has to be a plan. Like you said, that incubation stage, okay, now we're doing the search, now we're taking the time, now we're thinking through, now we're processing. And there are a couple of questions you need to be processing. Number one is, what do I need to repent of? Mm -hmm. What do I need to repent of? And to be honest, you can't answer that, that, that particular question yourself. It takes the Holy Spirit. It takes the Word of God to be able to walk you through so that you can see, okay, yeah, I, I do need to repent of these things. Mm -hmm. Like you just read in the Gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 5, you know, it's not just the things that we have done. It's also our intentions. It's the thing that's in the heart. You know, already committed adultery in your heart, already committed murder in your heart. You know, mm -hmm. it's the things that we have already, according to Jesus, the way he sees it, you've already done it uh, because that seed was planted in your heart because he knows if it stays there, it's going to manifest into mm -hmm. sin. Uh, sin is a wedge. It is a driving force. It is a separation, of course, between us and God and also us between our brothers. You know, it is a separation. That, that is what sin does. Uh, so you have to begin to, to think through those things. And of course, this is self-analysis, which we hurt. We, we really hate. <laughs> we don't mm -hmm. like this. It hurts us uh, to be able to do self-analysis, uh, to be able to say, okay, you know, God, what is it in me that I need to repent of? Then number two, uh, what is it in me that I need to correct, that needs to be corrected and changed? Now, I say that 
uh, with a little bit of apprehension because you really can't change yourself. If that, if that was true, you know, all these uh, to-do lists and, you know, dream plans we had at the beginning of this year, um, you know, New Year's resolutions around, you know, February, end of February, they kind of out the door. Why? Because we really can't change ourselves. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to change us. And, and while I'm here, let me also say, you can't change anybody else. You are not the Holy Spirit for somebody else. That's good mm -hmm. news for somebody that's married and maybe listening. <laughs> you are not your spouse's Holy Spirit. Uh, so it takes the Holy Spirit to change us uh, personally and anybody else that is allowing and yielding to the Holy Spirit to change us. Uh, there is a um, there's a phrase I say a lot, and that is I want the Holy Spirit to sit on the seat of my soul. Mm -hmm. Now, that has worked me through a lot of seasons, a lot of seasons where I wanted to get revenge. Well, that's not from God. Uh, but in order to not get revenge, I had to request that the Holy Spirit would sit on the seat of my soul. Um, and I think of it, and in, in not to be not to be rude in this term, but I think of it, you know, like a hen sitting on a, on an egg until it is matured, until it is ready to hatch, until it's ready to be birthed. Uh, the benefit of the hen covering it and and you know and keeping it warm at the right temperature. Uh, that is what you're allowing the Holy Spirit to do when you allow mm -hmm. him to sit on the seat of your soul is to mature mm -hmm. you to a place where you can handle what's outside the shell. Man, that's goodness gracious. <laughs> that's where we are right now. Um, I love but it, the, man. The, the other part of this, uh, you talked about, you know, the heart. And uh, once you have had that personal conversation and you spent that time with you and God in the wilderness, if I can say that, and he has examined you and he has repaired you, whatever area of brokenness, and making sure you don't have a prejudgment against anybody. So mm -hmm. am I watching this video, you know, as a black man, I got to make sure that I don't walk away from this video with hatred in my heart. Because if I do, that's not the will of God. Mm -hmm. If I do, that's not lining up and in alignment with the scriptures. Uh, we talked about today, and, and I echo again, uh, that, you know, if you break your bone, you have to align it with a splint or something. It has to be something that is, that is firm, that is solid, mm -hmm. that is, dare I say, true. Uh, in construction, I don't know, are you in construction? I feel like I you are. I, I was before ministry. I was full-time construction. That's right. I felt like I was right about that. Yeah. <laughs> so you were in construction. In construction, I know very little. I, I did construction things with my dad just growing up. And it was like sure. a side hobby. Uh, he worked for a paper mill, still does uh, there in Monticello. But um, we would do, you know, some brick laying and stuff. Do you know when they would align something in construction, they call it truing it up? That's right. To true up an angle or to true mm -hmm. up, you know, a wall. If you're breaking mm -hmm. a wall to make sure that you true it up. Um, the same is true with the word of God. In order mm -hmm. to straighten up some things in your life, you have to true it up. And you do that with the scriptures. So again, going back to you can't fix this outward issue, you know, with outward, you know, uh, mechanics and tools and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's an inward thing. It's an inside job uh, mm -hmm. that the Holy Spirit is trying to do in America. Dare mm -hmm. I say in, in Mississippi, dare I say in our own neighborhood and dare mm -hmm. I say in our own home and, mm -hmm. and in our own heart. Uh, he's trying to do a work in us that we have to be willing and yielding uh, mm -hmm. to allow him to to do that work. That's right. And, and, you know, so you mentioned that construction term, uh, just chewing it up is, you know, if you're building the, the block wall or the brick wall, mm -hmm. uh, you don't you don't make, you know, hold hold the string or the, the level or whatever you're using to, to the brick wall. You put yeah. you put the, 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 the string or the, the level there and you put the brick up to that. And so that's Come a, on, man. You know, right now, I, I do what, what I think is one of the biggest things I'm struggling right now with in the church is yeah. I, th I think we're holding the string. We're truing God's word up to us rather than yeah. truing our lives up to God's word. Um, Come on, man. And, and that's that's a very dangerous place. And, um, and that's Jesus warned us that that was going to happen, uh, that people were going to do that. Uh, and we, that's nothing new. Uh, that's so many of the Pauline epistles were written to these churches that I'm, he says, I'm surprised how quickly you have turned. Right. Come and on. so, so what, what do we do? So, you know, we've been talking a lot about God searching our hearts. And so yeah. just read, read the verse, uh, Psalm 139, 23 and 24 uh, says, search me, O God, and know yes. my heart, test yes. me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Wow. Uh, and, and, and so, that, like you said, that it's not, it's not us, it's, it's him searching us, it's him revealing, but then the second part of 24 there, and lead me in the way. Uh, yes. And so it's not just God, reveal it to me, and thank you for revealing it to me, now let me go about my life, let me do what yeah. I was doing, 
it's reveal it to me. And then I want to be led by you, God, yeah. uh, and, and be led um, in, into to your way. Um, Absolutely. And, and, you know, what we want, brother, is, is not just a, you know, a refurbished heart. We want a brand new heart. Amen. You know, he talks about it in the word of God, I believe it's Ezekiel. You know, let me exchange that heart of stone, that stony heart you have, and give you a heart of flesh. Mm. That's an exchange. That's a heart transplant. Amen. And so that's what we're asking uh, God for. And it goes on to say in the New Testament, it picks it up and says, let this mind be in you that's also in Christ Jesus. It could have been exchanged to say, let this heart be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. So you're talking about getting on the operation table of the Lord and allowing him to cut you open, which doesn't feel good. And of course, being cut by the sword, which is the word of God, that's the surgical instrument, but then allowing for the heart to be taken out, that's yours, and his to be put in, and for everything to flow through the heart. That's why it's so important to get this heart thing right, because everything is going to flow thereof. Going back to Mark 7, one more time, he said, everything is going to pursue, the issue of life is going to pursue from the heart. What's already in there is going to flow out from the heart. So yeah, man, once we do this hard work of fixing the heart, and cleansing the heart and transforming the heart and aligning it with the gospel. Then secondly, we're going to have the conversation in our home. And uh, I've said this, and it's very important. You know, if you're married, you need to sit down with your spouse and have a conversation. Uh, My wife and I, we watched the video together. That's after I had seen it several times. We watched it together and it was heartbreaking for her, heartbreaking for me again. You know, it's like watching this horror film over and over. Uh, But that is minor. That is minor compared to what the the George uh, Floyd family is going through currently. Uh, for us, it's a video. For them, it's documentation of their brother dying, their nephew dying, their uncle dying, uh, their grandfather dying, uh, because we know he has a, a grandchild. Uh, not only that, once I watch this, I got to watch it with my family to be able to say, what are we going to do in response to what we saw? Not just watch it and say, oh, that was bad. That was terrible. Ooh, that was awful. No, you need to watch it and come up with a plan. Nehemiah, right? came up with a plan it wasn't just oh this is bad they've torn up the city the wall oh lord what are we gonna no it's a plan uh this is how we're gonna approach this as a family Uh, we're gonna be checks and balances for each other if you see me treat somebody with a prejudgment it doesn't matter uh the color or the melanin in their skin i want to make sure that i treat them like a brother or a sister because they are physically they're your brother and sister and hopefully spiritually they're your brother and sister uh but we know for sure physically we all came from one man adam period so the same blood that's that's running you know all the way traced all the way back to adam traces you all the way back to adam which literally makes you my relative uh and we have to be able to see that in each other seeing humanity in each other and that's Mm -hmm. a response of the home you know how will we respond uh to what we've seen and and that was a difficult conversation um, and, you know, when you have these personal, you know, conversations, it also brings about accountability. Mm. Uh, you know, as well as I do, your wife is your biggest accountability partner. Mm. And you have a small group, you have a group of guys that's praying for you, so forth and so on. But it is your wife uh, or your spouse, rather, you know, that can tell you, look, man, that wasn't right. You know, mm. uh, I saw something in you. I heard something. That didn't seem like that wasn't God. You know, that didn't line up with the scriptures. And it hurts. <laughs> that's another alignment. Right, but it is necessary in order for us to move forward. We gotta uh, have these difficult conversations, man. That's right. You know, and, and again, another verse that I feel like we've kind of danced around, but just to read it is you know Proverbs four twenty three that above all else guard your heart, for everything right. you do, do flows from it, or from it is the wellspring of life. Um, yes. And, and everything comes from that. Um, yes. And everything flows from that, uh, from our yes. hearts, and that has to be the starting point. And so what I, what I hear you mentioning in, in several of these things is first that it has to start with us going to God and say, reveal in me, God, what's not yeah. right, what I'm not even right. aware of, right? You pray for things that, uh, that, that we're not even aware of and then be, and really let him uh, do that transplant. We don't want to bypass. We don't want no stints. We want a heart transplant uh, right. to, to just be see people as, as, as he sees people. Uh, and right. so it starts with us doing that, but then also having those people in our life that we can be accountable to who will hold us accountable. Uh, and so you mentioned if you're married, your spouse, uh, maybe it is, you know, in, in a church setting, uh, brothers and sit like holding each right. other accountable. You know, that's something I don't think the church does well is, is hold one another accountable. And so don't judge me. Uh, well, actually Paul said, if we are going to judge, let's judge, let's judge each other. Uh, but it, right. it's not judging. It's saying, hey, 
you're saying you want your life to align with God's word. This thing over here does not align. It's not true, uh, trued up to God's word. Uh, I just want to, I just want to show you that. Um, and it's not a judgment thing. That certainly can be judgmental, but so, so that idea of start with ourselves, allowing other people to, to come around us to be part of that. And that, that then is going to shape our home, which then you say that then is going to begin to influence how we treat others out of our community. When you talk about the home, I want to just emphasize for a second the importance of the home. You know, there's a passage I always think about uh, out of Acts, Acts chapter 1, uh, starting verse 8. It says, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come up on you, and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in uh, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So it talks about, you know, it's, it's, it's a radial kind of effect, how mm. it starts at home and then it begins to move out. It's kind of like mm. a wake, you know, like a wave, mm. a movement. Uh, and that is what happens. Uh, so yeah, definitely those hard conversations. And if you are a parent and you're listening and, and your, your child is old enough uh, to start to think about these conversations, uh, you need to have them. Because here's what I know. If you have a teenager, they saw the video in the murder of George Floyd before you did. Mm. I can guarantee you that. And so they've already begun to process uh, what that means to them and how they're going to respond to it. You got to make sure, uh, just as a good disciple maker, that we are grabbing our young brothers and sisters and we're holding them by the hand and saying, yes, this is how you respond uh, to when you see things that's just not right. This is how you true it up and, and line it back up with the gospel and with the word of God. Yes, that's got to happen. Uh, and if we get that piece right, uh, then we can start, like you were alluding to, we can get into our huddle, you know, our, our, our influence and our friends. Now, the huddle is kind of tricky. So I'm going to say this maybe to help uh, kind of bring some, uh, uh, some meat to these bones we're talking about here. Uh, your huddle would be like if you had a, ba a barbecue in your backyard and I was able to fly a drone over your backyard, who would I see at that barbecue? That's your huddle. And if your huddle does not represent the unity that you're crying for and pleading for uh, mm. in your heart, then you have some changes to make. Now, mm. I'm gonna be honest with you and transparent uh, on this call with you even now. And that is, you know, in my backyard, I would see my white brother back there. I would see my black brother back there. But what about my, uh, my Asian brother? Mm. What about my Vietnamese brother? Mm. And, and would my backyard be reflective of the community in which I live and the mm. neighborhood in which I live? If we looked at a demographic sheet of Harrison County, would my backyard be reflected? Mm. If not, I have some work to do. Um, and I think all of us can fall in that category. And one more thing on this point, when you add somebody to your huddle, please do not add them as a token. Don't mm. add them just to be able to say, you know, well, I'm not, I'm not racist. There's not anything racist in my heart. I got three white friends. No, mm. you add them into your huddle because you value them. You add them into your huddle because they are really a friend and, and dare I say, a brother. Uh, we talked about this for a second uh, earlier this, uh, this afternoon, and that is, you know, it, you got to be able to move people from these three categories. Uh, category number one is an outsider. That's everybody's on the outside. You know, uh, category two is an insider. They'd be like your friends, right? But they're still not the, the, the third category, the inner category, the inner court, if you will, um, and the most holy of holy. That's really your family. So you have stranger, friends, and family. And you mm. got to be able to know how to navigate uh, people from those three circles and how to bring people in uh, to your space uh, so mm. that they're no longer just strangers and just acquaintances. Uh, they're no longer just friends, but they actually become family to you. And until that happens in your huddle, uh, we still have work to do. Again, it's not a relationship for the sake of the say I'm diverse. No, it's a relationship because you are literally my brother. And that is how I see you. Uh, and that is how I engage in relationship with you as my brother, both physically all the way back to Adam and spiritually all the way back to the cross. Mm -hmm. Man, that's so good. You're not saying just add a, a token Asian or token black person to your, your friends. You know, that, I think that's one of the lamest and worst things to say when, when a white person says, I'm not racist. My best friend growing up was a black person. Like right. that, I, that just completely misses the point. Uh, it's not about number of minority friends. Or that it's about the fact that we see every person in our life the way Christ does, which means that, that that starts with our hearts. And so that means that people in our neighbor, in our community, 
regardless of the color of their skin, that we're going to go talk to them. And so that means really they have equal opportunity to be in our life and for us to be in their life. Uh, so it's not going out and searching to disprove some myths or change statistics. It's about searching our hearts and saying, okay, God, help me to just see all people and, and not colorblind because we're different and there's nothing wrong with differences. We can learn from each other. We, we grow from each other. Um, right. But that we see all people for who they are and that's as, as, as the way that God sees them. So maybe just a right. qu quick response to kind of what I say there and then we can, we can maybe wrap up. Man, I, I think you're spot on. You know, when, when you talk about not having a friendship just for it to be a trophy, you know, to say, oh, look, you know, I'm diverse because I have, you know, these uh, couple of people as, as my friends, it's beyond it. It is that they are in my life and they are mm. valuable to me. And, and that's what bothers me most uh, from this particular George Floyd case is uh, to be able to see and to value him as a human. Mm. Remove the label. Remove the fact that he's black. Remove the fact mm. that he's 46 or whatever label you can put on this gentleman. Uh, just say he is human. And uh, that goes all the way back to the 1960s when Martin Luther King was marching, you know, in Memphis. It was because I am a man. He mm. was saying, I am human. Can you see me? Uh, as a part of humanity. And that is how we engage in real relationships with each other, when I can see you and value you uh, as a powerful part of my puzzle. Like my life is not, my life is incomplete without you. Uh, there's a, a song we sing at the church I grew up in that uh, I need you, you need me. We're all a part of God's family. Uh, mm -hmm. Stand with me, agree with me. We're all a part of God's family. So the agreement is we're a part of God's family. We might not agree on every single issue of, you know, politics or, you know, all this other kind of stuff, but we agree that we are part of God's family and I need you to survive. That's the, that's the, that's the uh, driving force of that particular uh, song uh, that we used to sing in our church. And I think that's relevant for right now. We need each other. Amen. Amen. Well, brother, I have just one last question for you. And before I ask you that, you have any, you just gave a great kind of closing remarks, but anything to add or just that's on your heart that you want to share? Sure. Uh, the last thing is the reshaping of humanity. Uh, that'd be mm. the last little point that I touch. And again, I say, I think they're actually in, in order of difficulty. Uh, so the heart piece is the most difficult. The home piece is also uh, difficult as well uh, to have these conversations uh, with people who live in the same household as you or sa have the same last name as you. It is very hard to have a conversation about prejudgments. Uh, mm -hmm. that we have built around other people, not knowing their story. And when I say, uh, you know, getting to know somebody, just because you know one person of a particular group of people, doesn't mean you know the narrative for everybody. Uh, okay. So when you talk about reconciliation and reconciling, that is a one-on-one -on -one work. Reconciliation mm -hmm. happens one person at a time. Mm -hmm. uh, this is not a, you know, blanket reconciliation. That is not how this works. Uh, it is a getting to know one person, understanding their story, and vice versa, them hearing your story, and then seeing how the two stories match with the meta-narrative, the story of God. Mm -hmm. uh, so being able to be put all that together. So with humanity, uh, it's a one-on-one -on -one project. It is not a huge, you know, one blanket thing, a one, one um, answer or solution to all things. No, that, that, that answer is Jesus Christ. That is the answer, but it happens one-on-one. -on -one. It's one relationship mm -hmm. at a time. It's one conversation at a time. It's one engagement at a time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love it that God in his infinite wisdom, he loved us so much, man, that he sent his son Jesus to come to this mm -hmm. world. And look what Jesus did. He built one relationship at a time. He started, mm -hmm. you know, these two brothers on a boat, say, hey, come follow me. It, you know, it wasn't like no mass email that he was like, look, I'm looking for disciples. Anybody in? No, he built this thing one relationship at a time. And as a church, we have to get back to that. One relationship at a time. And, and, and here's why. I, oh my goodness, you, you got preaching in me now. Uh, here's why. Because what we consider one man, uh, God considers a nation. Before Judah was a land, Judah was one man. Before Israel was a land, a whole nation, Israel was one man, was one person. Canaan, you name it. Uh, Washington, D.C., before Washington, D.C., mm. was, a, was a city. Washington was one man, George Washington. Mm. Uh, so I say that to say when you make an investment in one person with one brother and be intentional about that, that's how you change humanity. You change it the same way you plant acorns. It's not going to happen overnight. But if you're mm. diligent in it, in planting your acorns, 
uh, and dropping the seed and leaving it there and letting God bring the increase, then all of a sudden you'll see a vineyard in a place where you planted one seed. Amen. Well, man, as you say, it starts with us. It starts with our hearts. Uh, and then we need to, especially as, you know, as not to exclude women listening, but as the, the leaders of our family as men, we have to then initiate those conversations with our wives, with our children, but then even outside of that, our family, with our siblings and our parents, because that can be difficult because maybe, maybe we're diametrically opposed to some things in our family. And so are we willing, are we, like Jesus said, if, if you do not even hate your mother and father, you cannot be my disciple. So are we willing to speak truth even to our family at the risk of putting Jesus before them? Uh, right. right. And so, so we start there and then, you know, that, that's maybe, I, I love what you're saying, because one of the biggest things, like, let's have these conversations, let's change. But it's like, that seems so big picture and so almost like spitting into the wind. But what you say, start one person at a time. Let's first start with ourselves. Let's get our heart right. Let's get our home right. And then who is that one person in my life that I can just build relationship with, regardless of who they are, where they come from, who is God calling me to just enter into just that intimate relationship to shape my huddle, which then we right. can impact, impact humanity for greater purpose. So, brother, last question, and I know we're, we're, we're running short on time, and you, you've done an incredible job, I think, of speaking to the heart of this, but as a father of a four-month-old, I've got a six-month-old, what's maybe your advice or thoughts around what do those conversations need to be with us as parents, regardless of our race, what are those conversations we need to have with our young children uh, to train them up in the way that they should go so that this doesn't continue to repeat generation after generation? Right, right. I think the most important thing is to help your children to see the world through the lens of the gospel. Mm. And that starts with you having a really good grasp on the gospel, knowing the story of God, knowing that God created us uh, there was a fall because of sin, and then he come in and he redeems us, but he doesn't leave us there. He restores us. Mm. The more you understand that, that is the meta narrative of scripture. That's the big picture. That's the, you know, the movie uh, that's taking place. Uh, these individual scenes and, and cuts to other scenes, uh, we see that same gospel narrative takes place. You know, you can use any character out of the Bible and you see that same story take place that God created something. We came in as mankind and destroyed it because of sin, because of our imperfect and sin nature. And then finally, God comes in and redeems us, and then he restores us to an even better place. Uh, so getting them to see that through the lens of the gospel is the most important thing that you can teach uh, your child, because they will go through times in their lives where things that come in that God has given, they're going to they make a mess out of it, because mm -hmm. that's what we do. We're imperfect people, but they need to know how to bring that broken whatever it is relationship your broken body if it's healing that you need in your life if it's healing that you need in your home you know if it's healing you need on your job whatever you be able to bring that to the person who can fix it you you literally bring that broken clay to the potter and let him put it back on his wheel spin it again and then he is going to restore it he's going to give it back to you better than how you brought it to him uh, that is how we train them because I'm not going to walk in fear as a black man. I'm not going to walk in fear uh, in this country. Number one, because although I'm living in this country, I am of a different kingdom. And so are you. Uh, so we are looking forward to and joyfully looking forward to the day when we're standing around the throne of God, you know, rejoicing and, and praising him. Uh, so that is the ultimate goal. I press toward that mark. Uh, that is in Christ Jesus. And so because of that, everything else I see, I interpret it, I see it, uh, I bring it into context and into focus with what does the Bible say about this? What is God saying about this? And uh, what is he revealing? You're saying the answer is the gospel. I love it, man. Viewing the world through the lens of God's word uh, instead yeah. of viewing God's word through the lens of our eyes. And it goes back to true enough, because if we don't, we've been on set a wall uh, that's based off of, you know, how we see it or how it leans up against what we've already laid down. You know, in, in Brigland, I've been a part of some jobs that you probably have too, where we had to tear down a whole wall because it was not, you know, trued up to the line, mm. the plumb line uh, that we had set. And so we had to remove the whole wall. It is being able to do that work so that you get it right uh, for the sake of the structure of the building so that it is structurally sound and it is mm. safe. So you talk about having a safe home and a safe environment 
and a safe humanity, that is how you make it safe. It is structured on something that is true, and that's the word of God. Mm. Which means we might, I love what you say, we might need to tear down some walls to build on that foundation, which is yes. Christ. Brother, it's been an honor and a blessing to just talk today with you, and I know we're going to continue these conversations. I know the Facebook group we've got, just incredible things, but I really do appreciate you taking the time to have this today. So just to close, would you mind uh, ending us in prayer? Absolutely. Let's pray together. Yeah. Uh, Father, we thank you and we bless you mm -hmm. for this day. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your love. We thank you for your son, Jesus, uh, who firstly restores us back to you, reconciles us back unto you, our Father. And God, because of that uh, sonship, because we are brothers and sisters, that you have made us sons and daughters of yourself. Because of that, uh, God, we can cry out, Abba, Father, and we thank you for that. We don't take it lightly or for granted. Now, God, help us to be a part of the work of reconciling other people back to yourself, mm -hmm. to expand our spiritual family. Uh, God, they're already connected to us physically, but God, now we pray that we will begin to see the opening of their eyes through the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, God, we pray that some will plant, some will water, but you would bring the increase. Get the increase out of all that we say and do. No glory to ourselves, all glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to episode 10 of What Do I Think? I hope this episode was helpful in exploring some questions that we wrestled through and that perhaps surfaced in your heart as you listened. God wants unity. In fact, in John 17, Jesus prays for you and I. Isn't that remarkable? What was his prayer? He starts in verse 20 and says, My prayer is not for my disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I am in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What is your role in making Christ's prayer for us a reality today? What needs to happen in your heart, in your home, and in your huddle? Jesus said in this prayer that if we get those areas right, we will begin to have impact on humanity. As you walk away from today's episode and think about these things, I hope you will begin to ask yourself, what do I think? I look forward to being with you again next Friday in episode 11.